0: This is the Good Judge Men Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget. And
0: I'm Tame Kell, and together we will be your hosts.
1: The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally We have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else.
0: And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the uh, web at goodjudgepod.com. Welcome
1: to another episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett.
0: And I'm Tane Kell.
1: And Tane, today we are graced. With the appearance of another
0: guest, I'm really excited about today.
1: Why don't you tell the people? It's going to be better if you
0: tell them. Probably. Well, today we have the person that I like to call my favorite Judge Paget. We have Judge Alice Paget, who is a probate judge uh, in Augusta, Georgia, and just happens to be related. Uh, to judge Wade Paget by marriage.
2: Yes, and I'm actually the probate judge of Columbia County.
0: That's right.
1: So, folks, it is an honor and a pleasure for Tane and I to to be able to share the microphone with my wife. And and I will freely admit the better Judge Paget uh, and smarter Alice. and better looking. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you're going to carry on. <laughs> no, nah. that's enough. So, Alice, you have been probate judge since when?
2: July of 2011.
1: And so today we talked about the fact that we have a whole series going with probate judges and and some of the issues that might be relevant to both the public and to other probate judges and to Superior Court judges, frankly, on things that you do. And so we talked about it and we came up with a topic of year support. Yes. Now, year support is one of those things that if you were to travel the country and you say, I give you $1,000, you tell me what your support is, you would come home with most of your money. <laughs> Definitely. We're one of the few states that have it. Does anybody else have it that you know of?
2: I know Tennessee has it.
1: They do. Okay.
2: But that that was based on a very limited Google search that I did. And I actually read their statute, and theirs is a little bit similar to ours, but that's the only one that I found on a 10-page google search.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you when you say words like uh, like year's support it goes right in that same bin with rule against perpetuities and some of those things I remember from law school but have absolutely no way to articulate what they are.
1: Well when you're in practice you you know that there are some benefits for surviving spouses to file for year's support but usually the details are lost so let's go through some of the details. Year support is a mechanism, I guess, for handling an estate. Is that right? Correct. So tell me, how does it normally, first, who qualifies to even have the, who who can be a year's award, a, a year support recipient?
2: A surviving spouse or surviving minor children.
1: So what's the advantage of doing year support instead of just probating a will?
2: Well, it depends on every situation, and it's a decision that the attorney and the petitioner has to make. Typically, if there's a lot of debt of the decedent that is only in the decedent's name, such as end-of-life medical care, medical bills, that kind of thing, that's a good reason to file for your support.
1: So if you have secured debt, that is that you have a mortgage on your house or they they have a lien on your car, you get to wipe that out?
2: No, you don't get to wipe those things out. Darn. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You would have died a long time ago. I'm just
0: kidding. (laughs) Could Um, somebody please tell my wife that? mm -hmm. Just, you know.
1: So tell me, so you wipe out the unsecured debt, right? Correct. And how does that work? The heirs are somehow a super debtor? Or a super creditor or
2: actually they are. They take according to the statute, they take priority over any other debt. The Georgia statute even says it takes priority over taxes. Now the federal law trumps that but
1: did you the, see what she did there, Trump I do. That,
2: that, that.
1: <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about children. You said surviving spouse hopefully would be fairly obvious. If what if we're separated? And, and, and this is going to be a weird conversation since she and I are married and we are no more separated than, than the, the man <laughs> in the blue sky. But what if you're, what if you're not a, a spouse in good standing?
2: If you are married at the death and there's no pending divorce action, it doesn't matter if you're not living together. You're married. Your support statute allows you can file it within two years of the decedent's death. So if the spouse has remarried during that two years, they're not eligible. Okay. But if in, within that two years, if they have not remarried, they're eligible to file the petition for year support.
0: So they still have to be the widowed spouse Correct. Um, without having remarried. Mm-hmm. So what if you are a, I don't know, a disabled child or a dependent child?
2: It's only for minor children.
1: So you could be in any status, but you're 18. So Mm -hmm. here is one of the things that when I was in practice, we ended up with as an issue frequently. You talked about taxes. I do think that, and you tell me if I'm right, that your support will wipe out the property taxes of, like, say, the marital residence. Correct. For one year.
2: And if there are any pending taxes due prior to death.
1: Okay. So the thing that that became a reality, and maybe you can go to this and talk a little bit to this, is the fact that now the spouse owns their own home with their 8-year-old. Correct. How does that ever get unwound?
2: If the spouse chooses to sell the home later, there is a petition that can be filed in, in probate court to encumber or sell property previously set aside by your support.
1: Okay. So if, if, if the person is eight, how do they vote? (laughs) How do they, how do they get represented and say, judge, I don't think this is a great idea. I'm going to lose my interest in the house.
2: (laughs) The court appoints a guardian ad litem to look at what's in the best interest of the child. And it's actually done it twice. It's done during the filing of the petition for your support all minor children have a guardian ad litem appointed to represent their interest, and they consent to the year support or object to the year support. And then likewise, later, if property is going to be sold or encumbered, then a guardian ad litem is again appointed for the best interest of the minor.
1: When you were in practice, you did a lot of adoptions. Yes. Adoption, adopted children count as children, right?
2: Absolutely.
1: What about children who just say they were adopted, but there's no paperwork?
2: Well, that's kind of a term called virtually adopted. And yes, they would qualify to take under the year support. Would
0: that include my child's, all his teenage friends who come and wipe out all the food in my pantry? and?
2: Fortunately, no. Live at my
0: house most of the time and all of that. Okay, good, good. Yeah,
2: because we would have lots of those too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't even know. Sometimes they're just there. I don't even know who they are. All right. So, talk about for a few minutes about your
1: pet peeves about the petitions. Okay, about things that are frequently overlooked by well well well-intended attorneys, but that are uh, frequently overlooked because you don't have to have an attorney to do this, do you?
2: You do not. But and actually, I have had a rare few pro se. Petitions that were done better than most petitions filed by attorneys.
1: <laughs> but now these forms, they're all first of all all standardized.
2: All standard forms.
1: But they give you the instructions, don't
2: they? But most people don't read the instructions. <laughs>
1: and
0: like me with the, everything I've ever assembled in my life, and that's
2: <laughs> the biggest problem: is people don't read the instructions.
0: I, that's why I I take, IKEA furniture will not build itself. I'm just telling you, and that that's right why
1: now. you have a cabinet door on the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All but, right, so let's talk a little bit about the things that you see that are missing frequently.
2: Typically what's missing is there's a schedule of property and it's the things that the petitioner wants to set aside for the year support. Uh, it's, it's 99% of the time the real property, but then it's vehicles, bank accounts, stocks, you know, brokerage accounts, those kind of things.
0: Well everything but debt. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I want the stuff that's not. Dead. But, yeah, I want everything that's got some value. Yeah, right.
2: And a lot of attorneys will throw in a catch-all phrase: "All personal property owned by the decedent, time of his death, included, but not limited to vehicles, etc." That's not sufficient. You've got to put the VIN number for the vehicles. The tax most tax commissioners I can't speak for all, but most will not transfer a vehicle. Under a year of support without a VIN number in the order. The title. Right. Bank accounts. You need to put the bank and the account numbers.
1: You know, you hate is, is this public record? Was what pub- is the petition public record? Yes. So if somebody was But they could a,
2: put the last four digits of the account number on there. You know Is that sufficient? Yes. Okay.
1: As long as Wells Fargo or whatever bank can can identify which account was set aside. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah, Mark, you just need the specifics. It sounds
1: like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stocks. What about what about the real property? Can I just say one thirty six Palm View Road?
2: No, it's got to be a complete legal description.
1: You mean the like meets and bounds, like I like was on the deed when we bought the house.
2: Yes. And the language in in the code says that it must fully and accurately describe the real property with a legal description that would be sufficient to pass title to the property under the laws of the state. Wow. So, but so, just take the deed and copy the legal description and paste it in.
1: Now, you talk. You've already talked about taxes, but but there was we had a client one time back in, in the practice because for those who don't know, Alice and I practiced together for a, a period of time, which people find amazing. But it just it was just another example of me being taken care of by my wife. <laughs> but but it the, we had a client that had a bunch of uh, rental property mm-hmm. that that passed away and the spouse had gotten you know cocktail party legal advice from somebody and had said they wanted to file your support because they wouldn't have to pay property taxes on any of the houses
2: back then when we were in practice that was true in 2016 the law changed and now it is the homestead the taxes are waived and There's a code section. It's OCGA 48540 that defines homestead. And there's all these describers about it. Do they reside there? Do they do? Basically, it is where you have your homestead exemption is basically what the homestead is. But then the code goes on further and says if that piece of property is not being sought to be set aside any and other property can be set as the taxes can be waived
0: on like one parcel
2: it doesn't say one it says any and all
0: oh Mm -hmm. well tell me this so who has to be included in this process
2: all interested parties.
0: Hmm. What does that mean under the law? Yeah, I could be
1: interested in somebody as really rich as a state.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Interest- and I could mm-hmm. be virtually adopted by them as well. And
1: BuzzFeed might be, might be interested and <laughs> right. AJC might be interested. <laughs> so
2: the interested parties are the decedents, children, spouses, other heirs, personal representative of the estate, if there is one, mm-hmm. beneficiaries under the will, creditors, and any others having property rights in or claims against the estate.
0: And who's responsible for figuring out who those people are?
2: Either the petitioner or the petitioner's attorney. Okay. It's not the court's responsibility, even though I have on occasion done a little research myself. And we had a year support petition filed by a mother of a minor child who was not the surviving spouse. And the I happened to know that the decedent had been a retired deputy in our county, and his last name, it was, you know, Smith comma Senior. Well, on the list of heirs, there was no Junior. <laughs> so me being curious, pull up his obituary, there were four other children listed in the obituary that were not listed on the year support.
1: Mm.
2: Now, they weren't minors, but they were still heirs. They still were entitled to notice of the year support.
1: All right. You just said something that that reminds me of another case we had when we were in practice and, and some things I've heard about you telling me about the, the hear- some of the hearings you have. Personal representative of the estate. This is a way to handle the estate. Why would somebody do this if they're trying to if somebody else has filed to probate the will? Explain that so that people who don't live in this probate world understand how it could be that you have in front of you a petition to probate a will and a petition for your support.
2: That's a very good question, and I have my staff even asked me. Judge, they filed the petition and probate the will and the year support together. Why? And there may be different l- reasons why.
1: But sometimes they are against each other, right? They're not on the same page. Like the person who's been named the executor filed the will, right? But the surviving spouse doesn't like what they're getting or whatever in the will, so the executor has an obligation to file the will. And the surviving spouse has an obligation to do whatever's in their best interest, I guess. Exactly. So they could actually...
2: They're basically... They can be competing petitions. Right. They may be also filed by the same person. Okay. And it may be filing the year support to protect the, the home place, basically. But yet there are other things in the will than it... And, and technically, a year support is what it takes to support the surviving spouse and or minor children for one year.
0: Well, and it sounds like there may also be a tax reason for doing that from time exactly. to time.
2: And for- that's a lot of reasons why they're filed. Now, if it's an elderly person, especially like in Columbia County, once you've reached 70, you can have your school board taxes waived, which is the majority of our property taxes. Mm-hmm. So where typically you may pay $3,000 in property taxes because you're elderly, you're only paying six or $700 a year in property taxes. It may not be worth the year's support for that purpose. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, the, the decedent had... Uh, cancer and had $200,000 worth of end-of-life medical bills, right. that's a good reason to file your
0: support. Well, tell me how this process gets started. I mean, what? what uh, obviously they file a petition, but I mean, what, what happens when a petition is filed?
2: Okay. Well, and there's one thing that most judges from other classes of court don't realize is that probate court, the probate judge is also the clerk of the court. Mm. So... Some of the stuff I talk about, you as superior court judges would never experience because y'all aren't the clerk, clerk of your court. Thank, Thank goodness.
0: <laughs> they say in unison. That's right. <laughs> so when the petition
2: is filed, we as the court have to make sure everybody that's entitled receives notice. Mm-hmm. That the ad runs in the legal ads once a week for four weeks, all those steps
1: mm-hmm.
2: that y'all never have to think about because that's handled by somebody else. And right. when it gets to you, all of that should already be done.
1: All right, hit the brakes. I'm sorry to interrupt because I know you're about to say something, Tame. But so, Alice, you just said something that, that causes me concern. You said that you've got to make sure everybody who's entitled to notice gets notice if it's not the senior junior thing or something that's just blatantly obvious, how do you know who's supposed to get notice?
2: We just have to go by what they list as the interested persons in the petition. The petition's filed under oath. You know, they sign a verification.
1: So what you're saying
0: is that everybody known to you, that is supposed to get notice, gets notice, Right. Okay. And then it sounds like, What you said a moment ago is as the backstop to that, then you do a publication to show that your support's been filed.
2: Correct.
1: Now, sometimes I know that you have gotten, for example, credit card companies from Delaware, mm -hmm. from New Jersey, whatever, California, whatever. They will send in something said, hey, the decedent owed us $2,000.
2: Right. And we treat that as a claim of the creditor, not an objection, because they don't state any grounds for why they're objecting. They're just, that's just a claim.
1: Okay, so that doesn't necessarily stop it from going forward. So somebody Correct. can file an objection. Mm-hmm. If they file an objection, what happens?
2: We have a hearing.
1: Okay, and, and what, are, what, what is it that you were supposed to decide what, at that hearing?
2: The, the issue, well, there, there could be it, other issues. The main issue is the amount necessary to support the petitioner for the
1: year. So if you have somebody of means who has, you know, trust funds and whatnot. Sounds like the Padgett family. <laughs> yeah. yeah you In our be- dreams. Yeah, you can believe that. Um, so if they have outside means, outside from what they were relying upon the deceased person to provide on a yearly basis, do you consider that? You
2: must consider that.
1: Tane, that's going to hurt
0: you. Yeah, right. Because mm-hmm. you're going to have all that legacy money you've had over all these <laughs> generations. Oh, yeah, the Kell family fortune.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if there are no objections, then the court must just sign the
1: order. So, if nobody objects and they say they want everything, and everything consists of uh, let me add, let me just use a stupid number, a hundred million dollars. They get it. And it transfers title. End of story. Gavel banged. Correct. Wow.
2: Even if they list property that the decedent actually doesn't own, we must, as a court, sign the order because the order only transfers whatever interest the decedent had.
1: So, if Tane put in, if Tane put in somebody in Tane's family put in that they want to receive our house in Columbia County, our house as a part of their estate nobody objects because we don't read the what's your legal organ in Cobb County Marietta Daily Journal so we don't we don't read the Marietta Daily Journal we don't know that's going on nobody gave us notice and you and and Kelly yeah Mm -hmm. signs it in Cobb County then he goes and files it on our real estate records it may create a cloud of title or whatever but but he didn't own our house. Believe it or not, you don't own my house. Okay. So it doesn't really transfer anything. Correct. And you're not as re- re- expected as the judge. Judge Walt would not be expected to figure all that out. Exactly. If there's no objection filed. Correct. Okay.
0: That makes sense.
2: And it's also going back to conveying property that you don't have any interest in, um, I had a self, and the new term now is self-represented litigant instead of pro se. Mm-hmm. I, I can't ever. They're going to hear that. It,
1: the folks that, that are uh, fans of this podcast are going to hear us say pro se a lot. Well,
2: mm-hmm. I, and I still say it too. But we had I had a year support filed, and the spouse listed a piece of property. Well, it was their house, but they didn't own it; an LLC owned it. Okay. And the decedent was a member of the LLC, but he didn't list in the petition any of the interest in the LLC. Now, they may have had an operating agreement that took care of that. I have no idea. So there was no objection. I signed the order, but I don't think the year support actually did what he wanted it to do because the LLC didn't die. His wife did.
1: Yeah. That's pretty interesting because you might do that for tax reasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So Alice, let's say that there is a dispute as to the amount needed for one year's support. Cause mm-hmm. I think at one time when I was in practice, there was some conversation about, you could do this for multiple years or something. It really is for it's one year. One year. Okay. You can't file a subsequent petition for the second year or any of that stuff. No, Somewhere that, that, that became a thing anyway. So if you file, if there's an objection filed, how do you determine, I know you're supposed to use my other assets, but how do you determine what I needed for a year? Do you look at what the the the, the decedent usually paid into the joint checking account? You,
2: you, well, the burden of proof is on the petitioner, and they have to show to you what it takes for them to survive for a year. And you can look at a history of the family what their income has been over several years, what their expenses are, how much the decedent contributed, what, if anything, the spouse contributed, and look at other sources. I mean, for example, the spouse may get a million-dollar life insurance policy outside the estate. You have to look at that.
1: Mm. So all these years we've been told that life insurance doesn't come into the estate. That's true. It didn't come into the estate, but it comes into the conversation if there's an objection to your support,
2: and and I'm sure the two of you can figure out that most contested year supports involve a second or third marriage in adult children.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Where yeah. adult
2: children are objecting to
0: the surviving, their spouse. surviving
2: spouse getting everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, and and unfortunately, um, we see that a lot. Uh, in different contexts in front of us not in mm-hmm. your support obviously but but we see some of the after effects of, of that as well
0: and as Wade and I have said so many times we can't fix every problem that comes in front of us yes. nope
1: <laughs> Hey, Alice last time we did a recording session we were graced with Keith Wood being here and he yes. was talking about Article 6 courts mm-hmm. does this does Article 6 court in this scenario change anything?
2: It does because it you could demand a jury trial in a year support case.
1: And you could hear the jury and trial? And I would
2: hear the jury trial. Cool.
1: What about appeals?
2: Um, if it's an Article Six court, the appeal goes to the Court of Appeals.
1: If it's a non-Article
2: Six court, it goes to y'all. Superior De Court. Mm. De novo. De novo. De <sighs> yes. novo.
1: <laughs> we, we We already we already had our complaint session about de novo appeals at our last recording session. So, and then <laughs> we
0: won't talk. you about know, that. like
2: I said, most of the time, the issue is the amount of the award. Mm-hmm. But the other issues could be, you're were not, they married?
1: Are you my child? Are you my child? Mm-hmm. Are
2: you their child?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We don't believe you're their child.
1: so what if what if a minor child, turns 18 before the petition gets filed i'm not trying to make this a law school test exam but but what if that scenario happens
2: they have to be younger than 18 when the petition is filed
0: so if they waited a year and a half or two years after the the death of the decedent uh, and they'd already turned 18 they're not it doesn't matter that they were 17 at the time of the death
2: correct it's it's the age of 18
0: when it's when
2: it's filed
1: you know, Tane. Uh, not to change subjects, but uh, the the world renowned poet Kanye West w- once said that uh, only people who are fools don't have prenups. Do you <laughs> do you see a lot of prenups lately? Not in the really. Last
0: few years? Not really. Um, I, I've had I think two cases in the last two years that involved prenups, but they were prenups that were signed years ago.
1: I mean, there was a period of time we used to see a lot of prenups. We mm-hmm. don't, I don't see as many now. Mm-hmm. Alice, do prenups have any impact on this? They do. Really?
2: Yes. And I've, I actually had a case last year. The year support petition was filed. The adult children objected saying she signed a prenup. They ended up settling the case, so it never went anywhere.
1: So the prenup controls?
2: Prenup controls.
0: But this just tells you that whenever you have a question, you should – probably consult Kanye West first right I
1: get a lot of my life advice from Kanye well, I think that's wise um so as we move forward and sort of wrap this up the the we've talked about awards of real estate and how they happen is there any is there anything that you can think about let me ask you this you as the judge have no objection filed you issue I think that what's it called a certificate mm-hmm. a certificate of years of an award of year support And that
2: actually gets filed on the real estate records.
1: That's exactly what I was about mm-hmm. to ask you. Is that something that you do? Yes. And that's a part of the filing fee and the, the however per, per page of clerk charges, right. The, right. the Superior Court clerk charges,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all gets paid and, and you dole that out?
2: I dole that out, yes. Okay. And the certificate, there. one of the things that the either the petitioner or the attorney must do is provide a certificate for each county in Georgia in which property is located. So if you own three pieces in Cobb County and four pieces in Columbia County and one piece in Blue Ridge, whatever county that is. I can't think of the name. Fannin County. Then you need to send me three different certificates.
1: One for each county. One for each county, not 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 each
2: parcel. There you go. Okay.
1: All right. Well, we've talked about appeals. Um, we really hope we don't ever see those, Tane. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily we are both both of our probate judges are Article Six courts, but a lot of our uh, brethren and sistren, or however you're supposed to say that, across the state, they don't have Article Six courts, and so they do see some of these appeals. And so these and same you, issues, you could see one. American. Well, because we we do have one county mm-hmm. in our in our circuit that is not Article Six, but if, if, if all that were to happen, we use these same rules. When we when we try this de novo, these same rules are apl- applicable to us as they are to the probate courts and what Alice has talked about.
0: I really should have taken better notes.
1: <laughs> well Lee, you have the, I got you the podcast. Have the, you have the benefit of the website.
0: Where would I find that? Goodjudgepod.com. Thank you, Wade.
1: So Alice, thank you for being here. it thank is, you. A, it is it, you have listened to me, complain and carry on about this process for a while. And uh, it, it is it is really cool that, that people get to hear your thoughts on these things, as, as Tane said, the better Judge Paget. Yeah, my favorite
0: Judge
2: Paget.
1: <laughs> these are the kind of things we actually talk about sometimes.
2: Yes, we do at we, dinner. <laughs> which is kind of embarrassing.
0: Wow. Yeah. I'm not having dinner with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, I'm Wade Paget.
2: I'm Alice Paget.
0: And I'm Tane Kell. And we'd like to thank you for listening to another broadcast of the Good Judgment Podcast. Like what you're hearing? Let us know. Your ratings and reviews go a long way for us and we appreciate your continued support of this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim
1: Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do
0: this. And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness.
1: Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court Judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for Superior Court Judges across Georgia.
0: And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our
1: opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia, College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name.
0: Or anyone else for that matter.
1: Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if
0: you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously,
1: we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com.
0: And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcast. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, and thanks for listening.
1: Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this
0: session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience, and the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.